and welcome back to the Rough Broderick Podcast. As always, I am your co-host, Mihir Vaishampayan. And I am your other co-host, George Yosemichoni. In today's episode, we'll be discussing moral dilemmas and answer a few of these scenarios ourselves. We'll also be having a guest or two today, and we shall ask them their opinion on a few of these moral dilemmas. So as with any of these discussions, we have to define our terms. So we describe moral dilemmas as based off of, entirely off of a conflict of morals. So morals are naturally organized in hierarchies of importance. So for example, for most people, life is valued over property and doing what's right is valued as opposed to being rejected by society. But it's important to note that your moral hierarchies are changed based off of different factors like your religion or your upbringing. Uh, So not everyone's morals are organized the same exact way or have the same hierarchical importance. Now, let's be clear here. There is no exact right definite answer to any of these moral dilemmas. Not everyone's moral hierarchy is organized the same. So answers will naturally vary. No answer is better than another. So speaking from a completely logical standpoint, the choice in a moral dilemma should be entirely based on what choice is higher up in your moral hierarchy. But we humans are dumb and have to factor in our emotions when making a decision. So enough of the chit chat. Let's start grinding some morals. Side effects may include emotions and guilty feelings and perhaps a bit of regret. Our first moral dilemma is from John Paul Sarte, in which a man's brother is killed by the Germans in World War II. He has the very difficult choice of enlisting in the army and going to kill the Germans, although it isn't a guarantee that he'll win the war or kill any Germans. But he also has the choice of staying with his mother, who is stricken with the death of his brother and needs someone to take care of her. He can't do both. See, now it's interesting because this actually happened. John Paul Sartre, the guy who um, published this moral dilemma, actually had a student who is in this situation. Um, It's not clear what exactly the student did. We actually researched this quite a bit and we don't actually know what the student did. So it's entirely up to the audience. What's better? Should he go into the military and avenge your brother? Or should you stay at home and care for your mother? If That, that rhymed. <laughs> it did. It did rhyme. But if the choice we were faced with was one of right versus wrong, the choice would be incredibly obvious. If he had no mother to take care of, then the obvious choice would be to go to war and avenge his brother. However, he does have a mother to take care of. So the choice isn't really set in stone because it's like, well, do you take care of your mother or do you avenge your brother? Both people who have equal importance and equal feelings in his life. See, it's, it's also a more complex decision than just emotions, because if you go back to war to kill Germans, obviously you're acting out of anger or out of rage over the death of your brother. But if you go to war, uh, sorry, if you, um, if you stay at home with your mother, Obviously, that's because you love your mother. You don't want her to be um, alone grieving the death of your brother. So it's it's also kind of a matter of regret. If I if I was the man in the uh, in the dilemma, and I chose to go and fight the Germans, of course I would regret not staying home and taking care of my mother. But if I stayed home and took care of my mother, I would be stuck at home not doing anything, 
kind of kicking myself for not going and fighting those darn Germans, right? <laughs> yeah, so, Giorgio, I have to pose the question to you. If you were in this situation, what would you choose to do? You know, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, I think I would stay home and kind of tend to my mother because if, if you think about this, like your brother's already dead. There's nothing you can do about that. There's no way to bring him back. Um, and acting out of rage and anger, it, it seems like it's kind of cliche, but acting out of rage and anger doesn't really get you anywhere. Like killing a few Germans is not going to do anything to help console you with the death of your brother. And, um, leaving your mother behind to grieve over your brother's death and um, just not helping to console her, that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. And I, I feel like um, you, just because you can't do something about your mother, sorry, just because you can't do something about your brother does not mean that you cannot help your mother. And you kind of have to prioritize who's still alive, who can I still care for? Yeah, I feel like popular culture and media has portrayed these really romantic images of avenging the death of a friend or a brother or a loved one. But if I were in that situation, A, you're risking your life to go into war, which would make your mother grieve even more. I don't right, want to I mean, add to her stress. Yeah, you, you could die and just totally mess her up even more. And that wouldn't be right, would it? Yeah, I mean, and even if you don't die, the possibility of death would still be weighing on your mind and her mind. So you're just making her situation worse by avenging someone who won't even understand what you did or won't even come back for what you did. There's really nothing to do. It's just rage consolation at this point. Yeah, but you know, there are a few people who would choose to go to war over staying and consoling their mother because once again, that feeling of regret, like, hey, I could have gone and enlisted in the army and killed a few Germans and avenged my brother. I mean, that, that, that's got to weigh on you because if you're staying at home trying to console your mom over your brother's death, then, I mean, it's probably going to get to be a little boring. Like, no offense to the mother, but it's going to be boring as opposed to an action-packed sort of future of killing Germans and hiding in... Uh, they didn't do trenches in World War II. That was like aerial warfare. Yeah. So, like uh, an action-packed adventure of like looking out for planes bombing you, right? I mean, I get, I can totally understand both points of views, but you and I are pretty similar in both our upbringing and the way that we just look at life in general. So I feel like you and I have a pretty similar idea of what we're doing. No you. doubt. Like you and I both think that it's foolish to act on rage or impulse. That's because we make decisions based off of logic and facts and reason based as opposed to pathos. Yeah. Like screw this. I'm going to go enlist. Right. Yeah. That's just the way our brains work. However, some people are just more emotionally wired than logically wired. Mm -hmm. So now that brings us into our next topic. There were a lot of moral dilemmas coming from the World War II era, specifically because it was such a morally trying time. You have the rise of Hitler and fascism, and you have all of these things that are starting to pop up, and people are wondering what's right, what's wrong, what's in the middle. 
And there was another World War II dilemma called Sophie's Choice, which was a dilemma that has been popularized in both novel and movie form. And it's where a Polish mother named Sophie and her two children are sent to a German concentration camp. Now, a German officer one day comes up to Sophie and orders her to choose between her children. And one of them is going to be killed by gassing. So at first, Sophie is shocked that she has to choose a child to kill. And she rejects the, the officer. But then the officer says, if she doesn't choose a child, then both are going to be killed. She has a choice between killing her son, Jan, and her daughter, Eva, daughter, Eva, both of whom she loves equally and cannot bear to part with. And it, it's kind of a symmetrical scenario in which either choice leads her to the same amount of regret and not making a choice leads to an even greater amount of regret because then both children die. So I'm here, let me ask you, which one would you choose and why? Okay, so first I think I wanna go into depth as to who Sophie chose. She actually chose her son, Jan, to go to the German concentration camp and Eva to be killed. And that's just simply because uh, Jan was older and had a better chance of survival and she didn't want Eva, who was a much younger daughter, to have to go through all that suffering. She would rather have her go through a seemingly painless death. And I have to say, I agree with Miss Sophie. If I was also put in that situation, I wouldn't want either of my children going through that. But if I had to, I'd put the one that has a higher chance of survival in the concentration camp. Yeah, it's it's honestly just a horrific scenario. I mean, if you if you have children you know that you're attached to those children, regardless of what happens. Like they could go and knock over your favorite vase and you'd still be fine. Like you wouldn't want to send one of them to a concentration camp and have them gassed over a broken vase. But see, in this, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're not going to gas a child over a vase, but um, yeah. like it's, it's just a horrible dilemma because it's, there's no clear outcome. There's no clear benefit to either choice. I don't know which one I would choose. I've been thinking about this for a while. I honestly, I'm stuck. It's symmetrical. I See, now I, I see the logic behind choosing to kill the younger of the two, Eva, and um, sending Jan to the concentration camp. But then again, like you could... Um, you could go with like what gender is more important. I, I know that that's kind of a topic of controversy, but like yeah. sometimes some people would choose to preserve female life over male life, right? Yeah. So that, that's another perspective you could take it from. Um, I don't really see any other perspectives. I mean, you could obviously choose the younger child because the older child has had their run. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's weird from all perspectives you take. Like we've been saying over and over again, there's absolutely no right answer to this question. Which brings us to our next moral dilemma, a oh very popular one, the trolley problem. So if you guys don't know what it is, a train is running unstoppably down a track with five individuals at one end and one person at the other end of the track. And you're forced to make a choice between doing nothing and letting five people die 
or pulling a lever which switches the trajectory that the train is on and only kills one person, what would you choose? See, now that's inaction versus action. You can take action and willingly kill one person, or you could in this situation and have no part of it, but five people die and you knew that you could have done something about it. Yeah. So now that, that's, that's kind of a, um, that's a conflict between whether you value more lives and then, and then see the issue with that now is you don't know who those five people are versus that one person. You don't know if perhaps that one person is a billionaire and is just standing on that phone, uh, standing on the train track, making a phone call. And you don't know if the five people are, um, heck, you, you don't know who any of them are. So like you, you can't make a, an assumption based on merit or societal uh, standing. Mm -hmm. Because like, I, I think most people, if given the choice between killing, and this is just the sad reality, if given the choice between killing one rich office behind man or killing five per se construction workers who are most likely lower class. I mean, construction workers do make a lot of money nowadays, but like back when the uh, trolley problem was initially created, uh, you know, construction workers didn't make too much. But like, if anyone was given the choice between killing a billionaire and killing a few hundred thousand there's, of course the choice would lie uh, with killing the few hundred thousand there's. Actually, um... A lot of people just strictly see it as numbers. Would you rather kill five people or just one? People would just be like one. And having that on your consciousness that you saved four lives as opposed to killing four more than you had to. And I mean, I see that point of view, but personally, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't do anything. I would just let nature take its natural course of path uh, I don't want to be the one to interfere. And although it would weigh on my mind that I had the chance to do something as opposed to nothing, action versus inaction, I would feel much better with my decision knowing that I just let nature do its thing. But then you have such a deep feeling of regret after that because um, I guess speaking more from a religious standpoint or like a, um, a fate standpoint, you were fated to be standing at that train track when you were supposed to either pull the lever or not pull the lever. So by your inaction, you could have been anywhere else in the world, but for some reason you were there to pull that. Like if, if I was in um, New Zealand when this was happening in California per se, right? I mean, the five men are gonna die anyways, right? I could be anywhere in the world and the five men are gonna die, but for some reason, I'm standing right there on that train track waiting to pull that lever or not pull that lever. So it's like, it, it kind of comes down to like, why am I there? Like, am I, am I supposed to do something? Am I supposed to pull that lever or am I like, what am I supposed to do? Here? Fate. It's very, very odd. I, I think I still stick with my answer. I would just be, my mind would be just a lot more at ease if I let nature do its thing. And this is going to sound really hypocritical with my answer to the next problem, which Georgia, you want to explain? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so the next problem has been kind of titled the Jesus Dilemma. It was proposed by Fyodor Dostoevsky, a uh, famous Russian author. Um, so think about your best friend or closest family member and imagine if you could sacrifice them in order to somehow create a peaceful and perfect society for the rest of humanity. This is kind of similar to like what Jesus did in the Bible by giving himself up on the cross, trying to, you know, take away sins from all of humanity. Um, so now the question is, would you do it? Would you kill your, um, your family member or best friend in order to create the peaceful and perfect society? Without a doubt, I'd do it, Giorgio. Um, my Dang, closest... you killed me? Actually, it's not you. My closest and my oh. best friend <laughs> is my mom. And we've actually discussed this thing in length and in detail. But honestly, sacrificing someone... And I mean, it'll hurt like hell. It'll be the worst thing I ever experienced. But sacrificing someone who has lived a pretty reasonable life, you know, she's lived quite a lengthy time. She's not old by any standards. Uh. But yeah, I mean, the world is so screwed right now. Back then, yeah. this was a harder dilemma because the world wasn't as as I said, screwed as we are right now, mm -hmm. and we weren't as divided. But right now, you know, I don't even know if I have a future in this world, or if I'm able, even able to have kids that will actually make it to adulthood with how fast the earth is heating up, or just the strict divide that's being seen in our country right now, you know? Yeah, I mean, we could certainly use something like this. I mean, it's not going to happen, obviously, but, and you my, know. My mom's, I, I asked her about it. She strictly disagrees. She would much rather just live this world and see us survive. And I think that's just like an intangible maternal aspect, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Like, it's instinct. Like, but then you got to kind of go down to that, that, thing of um what do you actually do it like if like we, we we can talk all we want about it yeah but if it, if it really came down to me killing you or you killing your mother over um over you know like saving the world basically like would you actually do it and would you live with regret for the rest of your life or would you would you not i, I don't i don't know um this is actually an example of a philosophical concept called utilitarianism in which uh, one would naturally be sacrificed for the rest versus deontology in which one's principles, such as the um, kind of sacrosanct nature of life, uh, must be kept at all costs. Yeah. So it really comes down to which one are you? Are you a utilitarianist or a deontologist? Well, I'm a utilitarianist. Um, and I can't stress this enough. It would be the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And I mean, I don't have kids and I've lived a very young life. Like I'm only 16. I don't have the same maternal instinct or paternal emotions that people with kids have so 
you know, maybe as I age, I gain a deeper appreciation. Not that I don't appreciate my mother right now, uh. <laughs> but I think it's something that comes with age. But if you look at the positives, terrorism is zero. No child will be hungry. You know, I feel like in that case, the mother in me, <laughs> <laughs> the mother in me would be like, Okay. yeah just just pull the trigger do it yeah no child will ever have to suffer again and like i don't know it's tough but i feel like i would do it my mother wouldn't do it like my mom has strictly said she'd keep me alive at all costs including just sacrificing herself uh, so she's a deontologist obviously but now see the thing is you say you're a utilitarianist in this situation but then the trolley problem, you weren't willing to sacrifice one individual for five. Yeah, see, that's why I said it comes at a conflict of what I believe in. And I honestly sound really hypocritical, but that's just the way my brain is wired. I mean, it's solely dependent on the type of relationships that you have with people. For me, it's my mom. For other people, it's their sister, could be their best friend, could be their teacher for all you know. And right it's honestly solely dependent on the type of relationship you have with the person. Right. Like in the trolley problem, you have no sort of relationship with anyone standing there exactly. on the train tracks, which is so why it's, it's much easier to kill the five than to kill the one. Yeah. Which is why my emotions seem so hypocritical in this situation. It's because I actually have a deep personal bond with the factor in this dilemma, you know? Yeah. So now, Let's move on to our next uh, dilemma. It was actually posted on a job interview and 99% um, of the applicants did not answer this correctly. Although one man had a very clever uh, view on the dilemma. Mihir, would you like to present it? All right, so this is the dilemma of obligation. So you have three people that are waiting at a bus stop as you drive by. Um, there is a man who once saved your life, an elderly lady who looks as though she is about to die, and the person of your dreams whom you may never see again. You're obligated to pick someone up, but your car is tiny and you only have room for two people, including yourself. What do you do and why? Um, so this dilemma is a bit outdated. I don't know anyone who has a two-seat car unless it's a truck. Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> Volkswagens are tiny, yes. but um, I don't know. So a man saved your life and he's sitting there in the rain. So now you can uh, repay him per se and never have to deal with him again. Uh, there's an elderly lady who looks like she's about to die. So you could bring her to the hospital, possibly save her life. And that's valuing life over um, everything else. And then there's a person of your dreams um who you may never see again and that's um that's like prioritizing your future over all else okay so, so here's the way i see it all right so the old lady even if we do save her she's going to die in a bit anyways correct well see that's the thing is you don't know if she's going to die or not no, but even if you do save her, she's going to be fine for like, what, maybe a decade, two decades, and then she's going to die. It's the way of life, which is something we as humans are cursed with knowing. We know that our existence ends with death. 
Right, but, but you you can't quantify some of the death. Like in that decade that she's alive after she goes to the hospital, she might write some life-changing book for someone else or she might make some incredible discovery. I mean, the odds are very low, but they're, they're never none. You can't predict what's going to happen if you save that old lady. All right. The person of your dreams thing, I just think is stupid. I agree. I wouldn't care about the person of my dreams. The person of my dreams is someone who I get to know with personally. Yeah, you don't just, just meet spontaneously. <laughs> At a bus stop. <laughs> exactly. And then when a person saves your life, I just feel like you have a moral obligation to return the favor. But in this case, he's just you're waiting not, at a bus stop. Yeah, you're not really saving his life. Yeah. It's not like you're repaying that debt. So I'd go with the elderly lady. I you know, agree. You kind of changed my mind with the whole um, with the whole spiel about how she could be life-changing. I, I completely agree with that. And... Um, you know, it, it, it always sucks. You're going to have a regret. You're going to regret not repaying the man who saved your life. And you're also going to regret not picking up the, uh, the man or woman of your dreams. I mean, that's, that's hard to pass up for sure. But um, the old lady is the one that prevails in the end. But there was a guy, as I mentioned, this was posted on a job application. And the guy thought outside of the box. Um, he he gave, uh, he, he decided to give the car keys to the man who saved his life and tell him to drive the elderly lady to the hospital. Because obviously if you're going to, um, if, if you save someone's life, then you, you're bound to save someone else's. And then you're with their, their right. and then, and then your dreams. And then you just wait for the bus oh, with the person wow. in your dreams. So oh, that wow. I thought that was big brain. And obviously the, the job applicants thought that as well because he got the job. Um, wow. But yeah. Dang. See, but the, 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 the one thing about that is you're not really repaying the guy who saved your life. What do you mean? You're giving him a car. <laughs> well, you're giving him a car. That's like down payment right there. Oh, okay. Well, if you give him the car, <laughs> but like, I, I was thinking of it more in the context, like you give him the keys, like, Hey, drive this lady to the hospital. Man, I expect my car my back. Life, if he saved my life, I would be yeah, completely I mean, fine with giving him the car keys. Heck yeah. You can have the car. <laughs> but I mean, going back to our decisions to save the elderly lady, I think it just comes down to our moral hierarchy and you and I think more, I guess, logically than emotionally because i feel like a more emotional person would pick up the person of their dreams whereas we looked at it logically and looked at i guess the quality of life and what they could do as opposed to what they might do you know what right. that was completely just rambling but you get my point. so so yeah you, you know what's funny about this is looking at it from different contexts like if i was a person like a 30 year old man right and i'm in a lot of debt i'm still paying off my massive college loans from going to harvard um i'm not going to harvard probably but uh just for for argument's sake and i have a um i have a medical degree and i'm paying off student debt and i have a lot of debt then obviously i believe that 
I would choose um, paying back the man who saved your life because you're in that mindset so much of repaying your debt that it kind of transcends all of your other moral hierarchies. Mm. And then if, if I'm in the mindset of like, I'm living alone and I have no one around and um, I'm, I'm very lonely, mm-hmm. then of course, you know, I'd want to pick up the person in my dream. So it, it really all depends on the situation you're in. Yeah, see, that's, that's what I'm saying. We kind of just removed our personal emotions from that and just look at it from an entirely logical standpoint. But, but you see, the, the emotions are the things that come after the fact. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> which, is, which is the kicker. Yeah. All right, there, but... It's a lose situation. It, it, it most certainly is. And that's why unless, it's a moral dilemma. Unless you do what the man did on the job application. That was big brain. That was genius. That Which was... brings us to our last moral dilemma, the mind chat problem. Giorgio, take it away. All right. So in this dilemma, there are two mind chefs and there are 10 miners in one of the chefs and none in the other. So you don't know which mind shaft the miners are in, but the shafts are miraculously somehow beginning to fill with water. You have enough sandbags to seal off one mine shaft, but when you seal off that one, it will flood the other entirely. So if you seal the shaft with all the miners in it, all 10 miners will survive. But if you seal the wrong one, all of the miners die. You also have the choice of doing absolutely nothing and allowing both mine shafts to flood halfway, but it will result in the death of one miner. What do you choose and why? Are you feeling lucky today, Giorgio? Feeling in a particularly gambling mood? I never feel lucky me here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like my answer to the trolley problem, just let nature take its course of path. Just one miner as opposed to, um, there are 10 miners, right? Yeah, one miner. Yep. So, so in, that, in that respect, you're taking more of a utilitarian approach to it. No, I'm doing both of my ideals you know i'm just letting ah, nature take its course of path and you know its course of path results in more miners being alive right and it somehow results still in the utilitarian that, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it see yeah. i kind of i kind of look at it as more of a coin toss because um you have action and th- th- this is actually known as the coin toss dilemma because no matter what you do you're you're simply down to odds um now you can choose to flip a coin on whether you act or whether you don't act right yeah and if you act you have to seal one of the the shafts off but if you don't act then you don't have to you can just leave the mine and you know let let one mine and drown but um if you choose on action then you can flip another coin am i going to seal off shaft one or am i going to seal off shaft two and in that way, you could be directly responsible for the deaths of 10 miners, but you could also be directly responsible for saving the lives of 10 miners. It's really, a, like Mahir said earlier, I am not in the mood for gambling. I, it's, it's really a gamble, this one. Let's say, let's say you do fill the shaft with, uh, with sand and you choose wrong. Do you get charged with the murder of 10 individuals? I was thinking about that. I don't know. I think that would be legally admissible in court because um, 
you know, you didn't know which one and you acted in order to save the lives, but you were unable, you were unsuccessful in your attempt. So I think, I think the Good Samaritan laws, the Good Samaritan laws, by the way, um, protect anyone who does a good deed from being sued in court. So like in The Incredibles, um, Mr. Incredible saves the man from jumping off the building. My God. And he, he, he got sued, but that's actually not legal because the Good Samaritan Act would have protected him under that circumstance. But um, I, I think the Good Samaritan Act would apply in this respect either way. If you kill them, then um, you, know, you did your best to save them. If you don't kill them, great. I mean, why would they sue you for saving their lives? That's, that's kind of stupid. I mean, I kind of feel like it depends if you've taken the proper procedures, you know, like you call the fire station or something like that, ask them for help, and you try other ways of getting them out. If you've exhausted every method, then yeah, I think you're protected by the Good Samaritan laws. But if your initial reaction is to just throw a bunch of sandbags without knowing the outcome or without fully exhausting any of your options. See, see, I feel but, like you but, could be charged with accidental murder. See, but that's the nature of the beast is that um, you don't have any time to call the fire department. You have to act because they're filling the, the mine shafts are filling with water so rapidly. You have to act. Otherwise they're all going to die or well, one of them is going to die. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I mean, what do you do in this situation? <laughs> um, oh, God. See, now I'm wondering if you don't do anything and one miner gets killed, could you be charged with uh, indirect murder? Like you could have done something. I, I, I don't even know if that's a crime. Would you I'm, be I'm, charged with indirect murder for not doing anything? I don't think that's a crime. I'm, I'm thinking of Batman for this because um, the, the guy came up and killed, Bat, killed Batman's parents, but Batman couldn't do anything about it. So would Batman be charged for indirect murder? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Man, <laughs> Georgia, what is up with you and all these movie references? I don't know. I don't, not know. even movie references, superhero references. I don't know. It's, it's just on my mind. It's moral dilemmas, right? <laughs> moral dilemmas. Yeah, I mean, you're completely I mean, right. You have the choice to be a superhero or not it well and and see the, the the odds of you being a superhero in this scenario it's all up to chance it is and i mean imagine how much praise you'd have for being the person to save 10 miners like dude give that man the nobel peace prize but imagine being the guy who wasn't able to save 10 miners and you have to live with the, the lives of 10 miners on your mind for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's honestly all dependent on your moral hierarchy. It is. So <laughs> go for it. None of these moral dilemmas actually have an answer that has been proven to be correct or is necessarily correct. Um, like we mentioned earlier, your choice is entirely determined based on the way you were raised, your feelings, and your amount of regret. So, um, Mihir, do we have a social platform for listeners to um, tell us their opinions? I can create one, but for now... That would be awesome. Roughrhetoric at gmail.com is your main way of contact. Um, With that being said, we really do hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have recording it. Um, 
yeah, we'll see you in the next episode in which we'll be discussing emotions, which we have talked about a lot in this episode. So stay tuned. Um, I was about to say stay rough, but that just sounds weird. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And for the time being, this is Rough Rhetoric signing off. Yes, sir.